0: Welcome to the final episode of Silver Screen Superheroes. Starting next month, January 2017, on the 14th of each month, we will continue with a different movie podcast titled Make Me Watch It, where I watch movies I own but haven't seen yet as voted by our listeners. To participate in that voting, go to bureau42.com and scroll down on the right-hand sidebar and you will find the votes there. But we're ending the series with The Incredibles, originally released on November 5th, 2004. It was written and directed by Brad Bird for his first major Pixar work. He had originally worked for Warner Brothers, where he made The Iron Giant, and wasn't happy with the marketing that that project received. So he was finally convinced to take a project that he had in development over at Warner Brothers and bring it to Pixar. He also ended up doing the voice of Edna Mode, the costume designer who is loosely based on real-life costume designer Edith Head who's got dozens of Oscar nominations and wins behind her, but that was actually an accident. He did the recordings as attempt tracks track so that the other actors could play off of it when they were recording their own lines, and Lily Tomlin was supposed to do the final cut, but when they played her what Brad Bird had recorded so that she kind of knew what they were looking for, she just said that they didn't need her because they already had exactly what they needed and left. So the reason I chose this one to finish out the series is because it is easily the best Fantastic Four movie yet. So for those who aren't familiar with it, the Fantastic Four were the first comic Marvel published under the brand Marvel, at least the first one they launched. And instead of being the traditional set of superheroes who were just, you know, all around good people, perfect morals and everything that were just together by circumstance, it's considered Marvel's first family. It's a family of superheroes. So in the Fantastic Four, the father figure is Reed Richards. He's a stretchy character. His wife, Sue Storm, has the power to turn herself and other things invisible and produce force fields, which is a very unique combination. She was actually the only hero who had that ability until The Incredibles came out. But, you know, stretchy characters are fairly common. Now, Sue Storm is sort of the maternal figure in that family, even though she's technically Johnny Storm, the Human Torch's sister. She's just, you know, old enough that she's the one that raised him when their mother passed away and their dad got arrested. So the Human Torch is a flaming character. In the Fantastic Four, there is a flaming character in this film, although it doesn't show up right away. The thing in the Fantastic Four is that strong, tough character whose abilities are comparable to those of Mr. Incredible. Mr. Incredible forms the father figure in this film. Elastigirl is the stretchy character, and then they've got three kids. Violet has invisibility and force fields. Dash is super fast, and then we eventually learn that Jack Jack can burst into flame like the human torch can. Now, in their first issue, Fantastic Four faced off against the Mole Man, who is undoubtedly the inspiration for the Underminer that we see at the end of this film. Thankfully, The Incredibles does come across more as a loving tribute to the Fantastic Four than a copyright violation. So now the rest of the voice cast for this film, we've got Craig T. Nelson, who's better known for his roles on the coach sitcom and for Poltergeist. He plays Mr. Incredible, aka Bob Parr. The Parr last name was chosen probably symbolically because they're under witness protection, so par meaning average. You know, just as a little aside about Craig T. Nelson, in the 1980s and 90s, it was common for stars to get pay bumps when shows hit multiples of 100 episodes, as it increased the syndication value of the series for resale. Coach was cancelled after nine seasons with exactly 199 episodes. So one more episode would have meant that the Craig T. Nelson and the rest of the major cast would have gotten a pay bump for the syndicated reruns. There were 23 episodes in that last season when most of the seasons had anywhere from 20 to 26, season one being the exception. It was a mid-season replacement with the standard mid-season replacement order of 13, which makes me wonder if that anticipated pay boost is why they only did 23 episodes in that last season instead of 24, 25, or 26, and one of the reasons they didn't get a 10th season. Maybe the bean counters just thought it wasn't quite pulling in the ratings to be worth it. Now, Holly Hunter plays Elastigirl. She's best known for The Piano and The Firm. Most recently, she was in Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice as the congresswoman who gets that rather unappetizing jar left for her. She's referred to as Elastigirl on screen, but Elastigirl is also the name of a DC character, although DC spells it with a hyphen. So as a result of some litigation and legal wrangling, on screen she can only be referred to as Mrs. Incredible rather than Elastigirl. Samuel L. Jackson is Frozone, who's got power similar to Iceman from the X-Men comics, who was never, you know, a big part of the Fantastic Four comics. He was in them, but not really prominent or a regular appearing character. Samuel L. Jackson is probably best known as Nick Fury in the Avengers franchise these days, although he's also had roles in Django Unchained, Pulp Fiction, Kingsman, The Saint, Jurassic Park, Die Hard with a Vengeance. I could go on, but if you're listening to a superhero movie podcast, it's pretty unlikely you need me to tell you who Samuel L. Jackson is. Now, Jason Lee plays Syndrome. He's probably best known for My Name is Earl, Almost Famous, Vanilla Sky, Dogma, and a bunch of other movies that Kevin Smith directed in his View universe. So Lee's career was going gangbusters until he was outed as a Scientologist and made the album of the Chipmunks movies. So then it stalled a bit as he ended up doing some heavy voice acting, but now his career is coming back. Dominic Lewis is on the voice cast as the voice of Bomb Voyage. He's done very little voice acting. He's a visual designer who's done CGI work for a lot of Pixar productions and for a few other companies. So, given the name Dominique and the last name that could very well be properly pronounced Louis, I wouldn't be surprised if he was cast as Bomb Voyage because a convincing French accent was more important than acting chops for that relatively small role. Now, while Sean is Bob Parr's boss at Insure-Care, And while it may be inconceivable that people don't know who he is, as he was in The Princess Bride, you may not have seen him in My Dinner with Andre, and you really, really should. Don't let anyone tell you what it's about, because it doesn't sound like a concept that can fill a movie, but it does. So just trust the product and give it a shot. And if that's not enough of a resume for you, he was also the Grand Nagus for most of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and is a Pixar regular. So Spencer Fox made his voice acting debut as Dash. He's also been in Air Buddies, Kim Possible, and not much else. He's got nine acting credits to date, including Incredibles both as a movie and as a video game. Sarah Vowell is not an actress by trade, but is a comedian and part of the This American Life podcast, and Brad Bird and worked hard to recruit her for the movie as Violet Parr. She's got 12 IMDB credits, and six of which are playing Violet Parr in this movie and some various other games. Now syndrome sidekick Mirage is played by Elizabeth Pena. She was also in Rush Hour, she was Dora and I Married Dora and so forth. We've got another Pixar regular John Ratzenberger, who is Cliff Clavid in Cheers, the Missile Command Operator in Superman 2, and Rebel Force Major Derlin in Empire Strikes Back. He comes in as the underminer for that brief cameo at the end. And I want to point out that Michael Giacchino is the composer who's done not just many Pixar movies, but also the Kelvin vs. Star Trek movies, recently to Doctor Strange, and so forth. So as a quick synopsis, the superheroes here are sued into retirement. And it's as a result of Mr. Incredible saving the life of a man who wanted to die, and accidentally injuring him in the process. And then a sidekick called Incrediboy tries to basically sign himself up. Mr. Incredible tries to push him away. And Bomb Voyage puts a bomb on Syndrome's cape without Syndrome realizing it. This is before he becomes Syndrome, and trying to save people from that ends up with almost a comedy of errors that results in massive property damage, although no deaths. That leads to the series of lawsuits, and superheroes are essentially forced into retirement. So Mr. Incredible and Elastigirl end up married and raise a family with those three kids, the oldest two having superpowers from the outset, and we don't realize that the third has powers as well until very near the end. So when Incredible grows up to be Syndrome... He's a supervillain who wants to be the next big hero by creating a threat he defeats, and his ultimate plan is to sell the technology he uses to become a hero to anyone who wants it, so that being super will not make anyone special. And he works his way up to killing Mr. Incredible by killing one hero after another with his Omnidroids. He eventually attacks the public with them, but is knocked unconscious pretty quickly, and the Incredibles and Frozen are the ones who manage to defeat it, which kind of steals Syndrome's thunder by actually being heroes. It not only helps bring the remaining heroes out of hiding, but then force a syndrome to take drastic action, which is why he tries to kidnap their youngest child to raise for himself. Only baby Jack-Jack has all sorts of abilities and starts to fight back. I highly recommend checking out Jack-Jack Attack, which is the short film about the babysitter's experiences with Jack-Jack that we don't see in the film. It's a bonus feature on the two-disc DVDs and presumably the Blu-rays. It's available other places, uh, legally specifically. But yeah, track down Jack, Jack attack. It's worth it. So of the five theatrical Fantastic Four films that have been produced, four of which have been actually released to the public, this is the one that actually captures the fun and the spirit that's present in the best of the Fantastic Four comics. The Roger Corman one from the 1990s actually works at the script level. Some of the performances aren't bad. They just did not have the budget to back that script up. So that of the movies that have come out, well, that one was never officially released, but of the movies that have been produced that have the Fantastic Four name on it, that one had the best shot based on the script it was beginning with. Then there were the two films with Joan Griffith, Jessica Alba, Chris Evans, and Mike Chiklis as the Fantastic Four. They got the Human Torch and the Thing right, because Chris Evans and Mike Chiklis did research, found out what the characters were like in the comics, realized the movie script didn't represent that had fought tooth and nail to be allowed to put in their own sequences and rewrite some scenes to get that relationship right. So the complete sequence where, you know, the Human Torch is pranking the thing with things like trying to get him to smack whipping cream all over his face and that sort of thing was written by those two without getting credit because they don't remember the Screen Actors Guild. That's why there's almost no visual effects in it aside from having the thing in makeup. The second one, Rise of the Silver Surfer, was a bit of a course correction. So the core four characters and The Silver Surfer were now written in character, although I still doubt the casting choices, particularly for Jessica Alba as Sue Storm, but they still got Doctor Doom wrong, and Doctor Doom was quite arguably the greatest villain in comics. So yeah, if you can't get him right, maybe you should question what you're doing. And then of course there's the one where The first two-thirds of the film were directed by Josh Trank, and the third act was the studio coming in, and Trank says he's got a fantastic version that we'll probably never see. I don't know. I have serious issues with that one, including sequences that Trank was a part of, so I wouldn't be surprised if he had a better film behind him, but not necessarily a better adaptation, but that's just deeply flawed anyway. So The Incredibles is the best Fantastic Four movie we've seen. Now, in terms of the box office totals that we always go through, remember it takes about two to three times the film's budget to come in in the box office before it starts to make a profit. The estimated budget for The Incredibles is $92 million, which means it's profitable somewhere in the 184 to $272 million range. The total domestic box office was $261,441,092. So they probably made a profit off it just in the theaters from the domestic returns, the final worldwide, when you include all the international, is 631442092 So that's between six and seven times the budget. So it was certainly a profitable release in the box office. And that's not counting the tremendous amount of merchandise that Disney has put out with these characters ever since. You know, there are contributions to the Disney Infinity games, you know, the lunch boxes, the toys, all of that. And the fact that a sequel won't actually be out until 2018, a full 14 years later, is a testament to Pixar's dedication to putting story first and not just doing the cash crap. And I think that's one of the reasons they've got such a phenomenal track record. In my experience, Pixar and Marvel Studios are the only two development studios that haven't really had a complete bomb. When the weakest movies released by the studios are as good as, say, Cars 2 or Iron Man 2, neither of which were terrible, just not living up to the originals, that's a good sign. In any event, that's all we have to say about The Incredibles. So as I said, join us again next month for Make Me Watch It, and please head over to bureau42.com and vote for which movies should be a part of that series. In the meantime, please rate this in any of the shows you listen to on iTunes and on Stitcher. It really does help the shows get noticed. Share links with friends you think may be interested. And finally, thank you for listening.